Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 416. I just can't imagine what life would be without the passion for automobiles. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Mark Goulet. Mark, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. I'm laced up and ready to go. All right. Great to have you here. Mark Goulet is the principal at Melbourne Consultancy in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, His company helps others in the design and analysis of automotive fluid systems. Melbourne's primary focus is designing components and systems that are involved in lubricating and are cooling engines, transmissions, transfer cases, differential and electric motors, as well as power hydraulics for actuators. They study, design, write, test, and provide assistance to major players in the automotive industry, including BMW, Chrysler, Mercedes-Benz, Ferrari, McLaren F1, and many, many others. His mantra, anything almost right is wrong. I love that. So, Mark, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career, your business, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, I've always had a passion for automobiles. I cannot think of a time in my life when I wasn't fascinated by an automobile. So that's a, that was a seed that was planted pretty early on. About, oh, I'd say in my mid-20s, I had an opportunity to be working for a company that made parts using the powder metallurgy process. They call it sintering now, sintered brake pads, things like that. These are structural parts, and it struck me immediately that uh, a lot of the components in an automobile engine could be made that way. They weren't at the time, but I could see that they could be. And uh, basically, the rest of my career has been been doing that, designing components for pumping using sintered parts. Wow. You know, the work that you do is so technical. It's so elaborate. And you've got to have so much knowledge. Give me maybe one brief little example. If, if I was a manufacturer, let's pick someone really fun like McLaren F1, and I needed some help with something, what would that be that I would come to talk to you about? Well, what I try to do is get my clients involved get me involved as early as possible in the process. Uh, One of my favorite sayings is that it's better to invest our time to stay out of trouble than to spend a bunch of time getting out of trouble. (laughs) Uh, That being the case, as soon as they put 
pencil to paper or pixels on a tube nowadays, uh, they'd get a hold of me. And they'd say, this is basically what we want to do. We have an engine that's going to make X amount of power. These are the parameters we want it to run in. And they'd ask, how much oil is it going to need? And what's the best way to make it circulate through the engine? Ah, cool. Very well said. Well, that's very clear then. Well, the things that you do to most of us are probably pretty magical, but it's all engineering. It's all a lot of study. It's all a lot of mathematics, I would assume, as well. But uh, It's very sexy accounting, really, is what it comes <laughs> down to. <laughs> I like that way to, to uh, describe what your career and your business is all about. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success and it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars, yeah? So, Mark, take the wheel. Well, again, as I said, what I, I hate to do is backtrack and try to get myself or somebody else out of trouble. So preparation is everything. The quote that you started with, anything almost right is wrong, is always ringing in the back of my head. Uh, no shortcuts. Do it right. Nowadays, with budgets and timelines being as compressed as they are, you really don't have time to muck about uh, you've got to sharpen your pencil, think, and then you know make sure you get it right the first time. And I would assume that getting involved very early in the process with a company that's designing an engine or transmission is really key here, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I first got into the business, the oil pump design business for the automotive people back in the late 70s, 78, 79, I, I realized that the oiling system in an engine, the oil pump specifically, was really the Rodney Dangerfield of automotive <laughs> subsystems. You know, the guys at, guys at Bosch got all the attention with their sexy anti-lock brake systems or fuel injection systems. But when everything was all done, somebody would go, my God, what are we going to do about an oil pump? Ah, don't worry about it. We can get one someplace. <laughs> uh, you don't just go down to Pep Boys and get a new, uh, you know, an oil pump for a brand new engine that's on the board. So it's got to be done as you would conduct an orchestra. I mean, all the parts have to work together. And uh, that's my job. I like that analogy. Rodney Dangerfield, I get no respect, the oil pump. So, you know, <laughs> and when it comes back to even when we were kids, that the thing that I always heard from my dad about the first car I had was change the oil often, keep the engine lubricated. So I would guess without a good pump system, it wouldn't matter how often you change the oil. That's right. And, uh, you know, nowadays, as the Brits would say, it goes beyond just keeping the bits slippery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you've got all sorts of hydraulically actuated things. You've got hydraulic cam phasers. You've got chain tensioners. You've got displacement on demand, which uses hydraulics to deactivate cylinders. There's all sorts of stuff going on, and it all uses motor oil, right. engine oil. Yeah. So the pump has to be designed to, uh, to do that in a very sophisticated fashion and uh, with uh, all the uh, regs that you've got from the federal government, do it in an economical fashion in terms of fuel economy. Oh, yeah. Well, that adds a whole other dimension. I've been a Porsche 911 fan for forever, and I'll never forget the first time I went to change the oil in my first 911. It just kept coming out. It just kept coming out. <laughs> <laughs> the little pan I had was not big enough. It went all over the floor, and I, yeah. I, I learned my lesson pretty fast that those cars held 11 quarts of oil. So That's right. Holy That's cow. Right. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You were so kind to send me an amazing write-up about your history and your youth, and uh, it was a really a fun read. I, you, you really need to write a book about your childhood. <laughs> That's what my wife said. <laughs> Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Yeah. Uh, my dad 
was working in Massachusetts at the time. We were living in Maine, so he was commuting on a weekly basis. It was a new job. And uh, we had a sort of a, a neighborhood with fields and things in it. It wasn't rural, but it wasn't middle of the city either. Anyway, we had a neighbor that lived a couple of streets back from us who had, uh, and I can just see it right now, a uh, salmon pink, black, and white 1956 Dodge Coronet. Cool. And this, w- this was in like September or October of 55, so it was right off the showroom floor. So I was all of five years old, walking home from school the long way to cut through the field, and there's this car. I mean, it might have might as well have been from another planet. I mean, this thing was just unbelievable. And I stood there for the longest time just studying this thing and looking at it and looking at it. And I made a point of passing by there every day that I could on the way home from school and just look at that car. It was just fabulous. I was hooked. Cool, cool. Well, those cars of the 50s, oh my gosh, not only the design, but the color combinations. And as you were describing that, I was just visualizing what that car was. They were just fantastic, amazing cars. I can see how that would capture the mind of a young man <laughs> and stay with him his whole life. <laughs> Mark, what I'd love to do now is crawl under the hood and take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk a bit about a huge challenge or a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. I can only imagine the challenges that you've been up against of designing lubricating systems for automobiles uh, is fraught with all sorts of challenges. But the most important part of this is how did you overcome that particular situation? What did it teach you that you carried forward in your career? Well, it was very hard to get management, upper management, the automobile companies to understand that lubrication systems for engines and transmissions and such are, in fact, sophisticated. The problem with that is that you can't roll out a bunch of credentials that you've acquired at Penn State or MIT or Caltech that that supports any claims that you might make as to your experience and basis for making decisions along the way. So it, it, that's kind of difficult. And frankly, I'd been you know shut down a couple of times at the car companies thinking, you know, Young fella, yeah, he's been around cars, and it's obvious he's taken a few motors apart in his day. But really, are we going to hang our hat on this? And and I appreciated that from the beginning because one of the programs that I worked on, I won't mention the car company, but it was for a family of uh, modular V8 engines. Gosh, who could that be? <laughs> and uh, it was impressed upon me the fact that between the time that the original concept was put forth – and the time that they went into production, they had spent $1 billion. That's billion with a B. Wow. So you got to make sure that, you know, back up what you've got with data, you know, and, and, and get it right. Uh, I, I, was, I was floored. It didn't affect me. It didn't make me doubt my capabilities. It just actually reinforced them. But, yeah, that's pretty, pretty – uh, it was pretty enlightening. Pretty oh my gosh! I, yeah, I, I'm. That's a hard number to get our brain around, <laughs> despite the kind of numbers that say the government throws out there at us every day of what they're spending of our tax dollars. But, <laughs> but when you, yeah, when you think about that, you're designing systems that could affect something that massive. Imagine a recall for all those engines because they're not being lubricated correctly. Well, that's just it, you know, and we've seen with Takata, I hate to mention companies with the airbags, but oh, when yeah. you're in the automotive business, there are no small mistakes. No. 
You know, no. even if it's a small mistake, it's multiplied by two million vehicles, three million vehicles. So, uh, you know, I look at that. I have three BMWs that have all required passenger side airbag replacement. Now, as we understood, it's going to be the other side now. And I just wonder, how does a company come out of something like that? I just don't hard to imagine. Right. Uh, you know, they have recall insurance, but uh, <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah. think it's enough to cover. You know, frankly, I mean, you know, more than one company has gone under because of something like that. Uh, the car companies will probably prop them up for a little bit to make sure they can get the replacement parts. Right. But even something like this airbag thing, and I hate to beat them up for that, yeah. that's going to take years to get through, you know, five, oh. six, seven years to get through all of those. Yeah, now we're seeing Volkswagen going through something uh, different, but uh, something that is uh, very devastating to them financially and to their people's opinion of them as well so it, it's it's sad yeah. i was uh, i was really saddened when i read that yeah because i've loved volkswagen for years i've had volkswagens in the past so you just kind of shake your head and go man how can something like that happen yeah. wow well let's shift gears here and go to a happier side of automotive <laughs> and talk a little bit about a career aha moment that you had i like to say it's a time when the headlights come on and illuminate your way for a new idea or a new direction. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Well, the big aha moment I had was actually presented to me by a fellow at the Ford Motor Company. I will mention that name because it, it's just so significant to me. Uh, it's when the Ford Escort force came, first came out. They had uh, an engine called the Erica, mm -hmm. and it had a type of an oil pump that uh, used gears, conventional gears, one inside the other. And they weren't very reliable at all. <laughs> they had a lot of trouble with them. Um, we were introduced to an engineer by the name of Jim Davis, not the fellow who does the Garfield cartoons, but a, <laughs> an engineer. Uh, and he sort of laid out uh, the whole problem that he had with this, with this pump and what, what the deal was. And I recognized immediately that the kind of device that was being made by the company that I worked for at the time, which was Nichols, they make a, a product called a Gerotor, which stands for generated rotor. Hmm. It's a trochoidal rotor. The Japanese like to call them trochoidal rotors. Anyway, it's just uh, a, a, a fancy gear inside of another gear. And we'll leave it at that. They're very simple. They're elegant in their simplicity. Mm -hmm. And the Escort engine was one of the first to use an oil pump hung on the nose of its crankshaft. Mm. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in the end of a crankshaft, as you can imagine. It bends, it whips when the engine fires and all that other stuff. And I recognize that our device, the Gerotor, may be much better at withstanding the, the beating up that uh, a device like that gets out at the end of a crankshaft. So a couple of us back at the plant up in Portland, Maine, came up with uh, a design on paper, a computer model, really, and uh, within a few days, we were able to make a prototype in our shop out of billet. We got them to Ford and Dearborn. They tested them, and they worked beautifully. Having one work beautifully and having 5,000 a day work beautifully are two different things. So <laughs> we made a, a slightly larger quantity, I think 25 or 30. And they just had line workers build, test, disassemble, rebuild pumps, switching parts back and forth. And they all exceeded the requirements that, that were put forth for them to go in an engine. Nice. Came back basically with a purchase order to get the thing going, and we cranked it up. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, the guys like to share a, a beer uh, in the bars around some of these places in Dearborn and everywhere else. And word just gets out, and then the phone just literally started ringing off the hook. 
Nice. Uh, we got calls from folks at, uh, at GM, Chrysler, a uh, number of Europeans, some Asian companies. And this is really within a month wow. of all this happening. Wow. And we went from, as I described to you in the outline, basically a, uh, a 10,000 square foot manufacturing facility uh, when all was said and done to a 200,000 square foot manufacturing facility. Oh, my facility. goodness. And these gears are fancy. I mean, they're made to tolerance of, you know, tenths of thousands of an inch. And we would make up to 100,000 sets of those gears every 24 hours. Every 24 hours, 100,000? Every 24 hours. Yep. Oh in fact, gosh. one of them we did for uh, the Buick. It became the 3800 V6. Mm-hmm. You know, they were ubiquitous within General Motors cars. Uh, we made 5,000 of those a day. Wow. Just, just that one particular one. Oh, yeah. It was just amazing. It was great. Oh, it was great. gosh. What an, <laughs> what an awesome story. Yeah, the power of engineering. Yay. Absolutely. <laughs> great, great. I love it. Well, you know, that must have been very proud, But it, I, and I'm sure you've had many proud moments, but is there one in particular you could share with us today that really stands out for you in your career? Well, the one that sticks out the most is uh, an application that we had that involved an in-tank electric fuel pump. Uh, As fuel injection started to become more popular, the old diaphragm mechanical type fuel pumps that have been used in Chevys and Fords and everything for years and years uh, couldn't generate enough pressure to be used in a fuel injection system. Uh, I started doing some work for uh, a fellow named Charles Tuckey for a small company called Walbur up in Cairo, Michigan. And he had an idea for using one of our types of gear sets in a small electrically powered pump uh, to pump gasoline. Seemed reasonable to me. So I went. We had our little meeting, and he said, by the way, this fuel pump resides in the tank, is submerged in gasoline, and gasoline flows through the electric motor. Ooh, so interesting. Yeah. And they all do that, by the way. It's, you, they're, they're made to do that. Yeah. Um, so I came back. I spoke to our management, and they said, well, you know, the parts are going to be fussy. I don't know if we could ever make any money doing it. And even if we did, you know, the numbers are too big. I, I think we should pass on this. So I kind of dug in my heels, as my uh, counterpart at the Walbro did. <laughs> and uh, we made some prototypes, demonstrated that it would work, worked with a couple of material suppliers and some other folks and got it going. And again, to make a long story short, uh, it worked. The idea was adopted by a number of people, including Bosch, Pierberg, Denso, a number, just too many people all over the world. And they really have sort of become a standard. Now, that one, we were talking about making 100,000 sets of rotors every day in our factory. Uh, 35,000 of those were basically one part number for an in-tank electric fuel pump. Wow. They're they're everywhere. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yep. So we were told it wouldn't work, it couldn't be done, we couldn't make any money, and it turned out we made over 30,000 of them every 24 hours and made a lot of money doing it. Yeah, wow, awesome story. (laughs) Congratulations, very cool. Let's have a little bit of fun here, Mark. What was your first special vehicle, and maybe you could share a memory you have with that car, or bus, or truck, or motorcycle, whatever it might have been. Well, it was a bus. It was a 1963 Volkswagen Transporter. It was orange. This is back in late 1968, early 1969, so I was a little bit ahead of the curve. It was a surf mobile for me. I was surfing competitively at the time. Uh, dune buggies were the rage at the time, so I radius the wheel wells, put flares on it, big had big high f- 
flotation tires on it. Wow. The camper interior, it was wonderful. And the uh, 37 horsepower that I had underneath me could barely keep me going. <laughs> yeah. I guess the favorite story, uh, again, I was surfing competitively, and a, and a friend and I were heading down to Virginia Beach. The East Coast Surfing Championships used to be held down at Virginia Beach, Virginia. And we were just crossing the Tappan Zee Bridge uh, in New York, crossing the Hudson River. And my friend said to me, you know, there's this music festival going on at this place called Woodstock. I think we ought to just like pop in and see what's going yeah, on. And see I if said, anybody's no. going to show up. See if anybody's going to show up. And I said, you know, really, I got to get down. To, I got to get down to the meet. We'll just, you know, we'll read about it in the paper, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so most people of my generation uh, claim will swear that they were at Woodstock. And I'll be very honest and say, I wasn't there. You missed it. You went surfing. <laughs> my uh, my current wife did go. She and her brother went. She was 13 when she went there. Oh, my gosh. Her brother, I think, was probably 17 or 18 at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, within an hour of arriving among the hundreds of thousands of people, they got separated. Oh. And they, they didn't find each other for a couple of days. But they did manage to find each other afterwards. And the, those stories will uh, – <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they go on forever and ever. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. my gosh. Well, we're both fellow surfers. I surfed as a kid. I grew up in Southern California, so I was on the other side of the continent. But uh, great fun. My trips were down in Mexico, you know, and camping on the beach and so forth. Oh, but uh, those OVWs, yeah, those OVWs are cool. But yeah, oh, you're, the first guest, you're the first guest who missed Woodstock to go surfing. So <laughs> great story. I love it. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? Yeah, definitely wish I had that bus. Uh, I named it Sunkist, and it was painted <laughs> like the logo for Sunkist Oranges. And more than a few people approached me about that. Like, when you're a kid, what do you know, right? I really wish I had that back. First, it meant a lot. Second, I think it would be like the coolest thing to have nowadays. It's oh, just, yeah. Yeah, no, it brings back those memories for sure. Yeah. You know, whenever I see those OVW buses, or I had a Carmagia when I was in high school, you know, I just kind of go, wow, there's some fun memories for sure. <laughs> How about current projects? What are you guys working on right now that you can talk about that really has you excited and fired up? Just about everything I work on requires me to sign a non-disclosure <laughs> agreement. I'm sure, yeah. But, but no, I, I can get into a, a couple, three of those. Uh, I've got a, a manufacturer who is... Uh, interested in coming out with a new line uh, and very unique line of pumps for dry sump pump systems for aftermarket racing, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it's going to use some features and some technologies that aren't out there today. The owner of the company is very clear he doesn't want a Me Too product. He wants to get out there, sell it on its merits, and uh, frankly be able to charge a premium for something that is, in fact, premium. Right. That that's exciting. That's fun because we're breaking new ground. Uh, another one is a uh, a different sort of engine. It's it's a four cylinder internal combustion engine, but it's going to be used in a vehicle that requires some pretty special considerations in terms of how the lubrication system works. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. And uh, let me see. Oh, the the other one that I can sort of allude to that your listeners I'm sure will pick up on is a turbo scavenging system for a twin turbocharged V6 engine that's going to go into America's supercar. Ooh, nice. Yeah, that, yeah, that would, that's a fun one. That isn't my first foray into that. Um, I did some work for Reeves Calloway way back when mm-hmm. he had the twin turbo Corvettes. Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, turbochargers need to be 
drained. Uh, there are blow-by gases and oil that get caught up in there, and you got to get rid of them. Yeah. In normal applications, uh, the turbochargers are up high enough they can drain back to the sump naturally. Mm -hmm. But in the case of a supercar or a race car, they're usually tucked down kind of low and cannot drain, so they have to be scavenged. Mm. Uh, and you can do that by using one pump for each, or if you're very clever, you can use one pump for both, which saves power and a whole bunch of other Failure yeah. modes, I guess you could have. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty high up on my radar right now. I'm looking forward to that one. That's good. Ah, exciting projects. Ah, really, really cool. Thanks for sharing those. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Mark. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be, and why? Well, I, you know, I thought about that a bit, and uh, I think it's probably a Toyota Camry. I'm not flashy. And, but I try to be as reliable as possible. So I guess it'd be a, a Camry would would do it. Very honest statement. I love it when my guests uh, really uh, reflect on who they really are. We'd all love to be a Ferrari Formula One car or McLaren <laughs> or something real sexy like that. But in reality, maybe we're not. So uh, a great answer. So Mark, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Car Jazz sponsor. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Christopher Kimball, Certified Financial Planner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN or visit his website at ChristopherVKimball.com. You can find links to Chris at CarsYeah.com on his show notes page. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders or 12 or 16 or whatever you love to drive. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member Finris, SIPC. All right, Mark, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. Fully lubricated, of course. <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? This is an easy one to take the wrong way, but I am an avid click and clack fan, the Mayotte brothers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't remember if it was Tom or Ray, but one of them during one of the programs in response to someone who was just going nuts over their car and, and just anguishing over what's going to happen. He just jumped right in and said, look, it's only a car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, roll up your sleeves, get your toolbox, go out, work on it. It's only a car. Yeah. You know, I, I like the way you uh, kind of preface that because for most of the listeners, they're going to go, what? This guy's crazy. Cars are really important. But when it comes down to it, it's a machine with a lot of nuts and bolts and parts and lubricants. And uh, yeah, roll your sleeves up and just work on it. Fix it. Figure out yep. how it works. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you want art, get a painting. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Those garage, no room for those garage queens around here. Nope. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? As I said, there's, there's really no time to uh, redo and iterate and cross your fingers and hope that things will work out. So it's attention to detail. Now, before I got into the automotive business, I did some stuff in the aerospace business. And in fact, I was involved in one of the, the moon programs, a laser altimeter system for one of the moon programs. Wow. And uh, that introduced me to a thing called an FMEA, 
failure modes and effects analysis. And if you watch the movie Apollo 13, you probably get a good idea what that's all about. The, the, the principle there is that you identify and try to eliminate any potential failure modes, maximize the likelihood that a defect, if there one, is one present, can be detected, and then minimize the likelihood of any remaining failure modes actually occurring, and then minimizing the seriousness of the ones that can't be made to go away. Mm. Yeah, very important in aircraft for sure. Yeah, well, the, you know, the car companies picked up on it. They all do it. And uh, the uh, FMEAs apply not only to designs, but to processes as well. Mm. Uh, you know, even, you know, torquing down a cylinder head in a, in a factory in Dearborn or Stuttgart or wherever you are, they've gone through an FMEA to determine how much torque, the order that the bolts need to be torqued down. It's all been done and thought out and documented. Well, it's an attribute to how well cars service these days. I mean, they just cars... They just last so long and they work so well. We've taken it for granted when you think back to even the 70s. But the 60s, when I was a kid, uh, you know, engines and uh, carburetors and things constantly had to be fixed and uh, adjusted. And now the car just seems to fix itself as you're driving down the road. Well, one of my uh, previous employers was a, a very large manufacturer of aftermarket parts, primarily oil pumps. And... Uh, they're just not selling as many of those as they used to. Two reasons. One, the engines last so much longer. And second, uh, the oil pumps have become very complicated. If you, if you or any of your listeners have taken an engine apart lately, you know, they might be part of a larger force balancing system. And they might be part of a larger front cover that includes a water pump and chain tensioners and all sorts of other things. Mm -hmm. They're not the little $16 pumps you used to run out to pep boys and buy. You just don't do that anymore. Right. Well, and then there's always that human factor. My brother-in-law, Mike, had an engine rebuilding business for years, and I'll never forget him telling me story of a person's car that was brought in, and they put it up on the hoist, and I did the bolt on the bottom, and nothing came out where there should be oil. <laughs> so, oh! <laughs> uh, yeah. So, And uh, this person did say, well, there's been a red light on my dash for weeks, but I'm not sure what that's for. So, yeah, so that human factor always plays into it <laughs> a little bit. How about resources? I know there are a lot out there, but is there one in particular that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Well, that's tough from my end of the business because what I do is work with, you know, the big guys who have to, to make the parts that would go into a system that I would be designing. Boy, you know, there are just so many you good could. resources just even even on the on the internet nowadays you could find just about anything you want in terms of either product or information instructions right. helpful videos i mean they're all out there absolutely well maybe there's uh maybe there's a blog you get maybe there's an email you get from a company every day you enjoy reading uh something educational i don't know anything that comes to mind no. no. How's that? <laughs> you know, we'll just put Google down. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not trying to duck you on that that's one. That's okay. Uh, no, that's okay. It's hard because there's there's so much to choose from, and, and when you have friends in the business, you don't want to leave anybody out. Well, how about a book? Right. I would assume you're an avid reader, but is there one book in particular you think our listeners would really enjoy? This show's airing the uh, first week of the new year, so maybe there's a book you could recommend that our readers should pick up and start the year with. Well, I've got a friend of mine that introduced me a book called Flywheel, Memories of the Open Road. Ah. And, and it was written by Tom Swallow and Arthur Pill while they were prisoners in a, uh, actually was Stalag 4B, a German POW camp during the war. Wow. 
And they wrote a book. Actually, they formed a car club, the Muhlberg Car Club in in, in the POW camp. No way, and really. They would, get, they would get together. They'd talk about cars. They made sketches of different, you know, Alvis and different British cars. Uh, they designed what they thought was the perfect car. Uh, it's it's a, a small book, but it's it's published in a way that it, it looks like the original documents, you know, that the, the the runny ink. Actually, they had to make their own ink. They weren't allowed to have ink wow. on the paper. The sketches are, are wonderful. They're beautiful illustrations. Hmm. It's hard to get. It was originally done with the proceeds going to the British Red Cross. I was very lucky a number of years ago to pick up a copy at the uh, gift shop of the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, oh, Michigan. Okay. But I'm sure if somebody Googles it up, again, it's Flywheel, Memories of the Open Road. Wow. Uh, terrific book. Absolutely terrific book. Well, it sounds fascinating, and what a uh, ingenious way to make a very bad situation into something very good <laughs> to keep your mind active and have some fun, if you can have any kind of fun in a POW camp. But uh, that's the first time that book's ever been recommended here, and I'll remind our listeners you can find links to these resources all at carsyeah.com slash Mark Goulet. And Mark's name is with a C, unlike mine with a K. It's M-A-R-C and his last name G-O-U-L-E-T. So we'll see if we can find a place to uh, drive our listeners to get their hands on the book. I would love to get a copy of that. Sounds fantastic. Now, if that can't be found, there are two more contemporary books that I like. Both of them written by Bob Lutz. Oh, one is Car Guys, Car Guys versus Bean Counters. <laughs> I love that one. And the second is Icons and Idiots. Yeah, two nope. great ones. He doesn't pull any punches. It's no. Very good books. He's very not a, good books. He's not a guy that ever pulled any punches for sure. Well, I'll make sure again that our listeners can find links to everything. And there's a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where these books and all the other past 415 guests can be found with quick links so you can get your hands on these great reads. All right, Mark, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage but don't worry about the price because today i'm going to write the check what would that one vehicle be and why it would be a d-type jaguar oh beautiful when i was about eight years old uh, my parents for christmas gave me a 124th scale model of a d-type but it wasn't just like your conventional revel or amt kit it had an electric motor and provision for batteries so you could you know like let things zip around the room and, and, you know, the, just the shape and, you know, it's one thing to look at pictures and obviously at the age of eight, you couldn't put your hands on a real D-type in the town where I was living as a kid. But having the model, even though it was very small, just the, the contours and the way the, the, the way the, the fenders were up and taut around the wheels and, of course, that magnificent fin behind the driver's head it was just fantastic yeah. and of course it was molded in proper british racing green so that was the <laughs> that was the kicker right there perfect what a beautiful car boys uh, boy those old d-types they are just gorgeous and uh i'm sure you've seen some real ones in your life i've seen some at vintage races and on lawns at concord events they're just they're like uh they're like airplanes really made made into cars they're just absolutely wonderful they're beautiful and yeah. you know the other nice thing too is you know, living here in New England, it's a car that you could use. Mm, you know, the yeah. roads here are great for a car like that. You're not going to want to drive it at 10 tenths, but, you know, maybe 8 tenths on a good day. Yeah. Uh, you could have a good time. Oh, I think so. <laughs> yeah, in a D-type. Well, Mark, you have taken me on a great ride. I really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in your D-type Jaguar? 
Well, I just can't imagine what life would be without the passion for automobiles. I just uh, – fish don't do it for me. I'm getting (laughs) a little bit too old to surf now, but the cars has been the constant for me, and I just couldn't imagine life without them. Absolutely. I think all our listeners out there are nodding their head right now. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your company? The best way would be to go to my website, which is www.melbourneconsultancy.com. And Melbourne is spelt as would be in Melbourne, Australia. I was going to say it's spelt like the street I live on, but that wouldn't help anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Except maybe your neighbors who are listening. Except my neighbors. That's right. Yeah, great. Well, I'll uh, remind our listeners you can find links again to everything Mark's been so kind to share today at carsyeah.com. Just put Mark, Mark with a C in the search bar in his show notes page will pop up and check out his website look at what he's doing there really fantastic i think the engineering side is something that us car uh, enthusiasts really love uh, the mechanical parts of a car along with the beautiful design and the driving experience so it's been really great to have an inside perspective from somebody uh, who's an expert in the industry as my guest here on cars yeah mark thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your journey and your experiences with the listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Take care, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!